For those of us remaining in the room, our scripture reading comes once again from the book of Genesis, this time in chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I'll give you a second to turn there. Chapter 3, verse 21 is where we'll begin. Receive now the word of the Lord. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, we are grateful. We are grateful to be gathered here together as a body of believers. God, what a privilege. What a privilege that many of our brothers and sisters around the world uh, don't have the freedom to gather together openly and praise your name. God, so we just recognize that privilege this morning. And God, I ask you in this space that you would do what only you can do, which is prepare our hearts to be open to whatever it is that you have for each one of us this morning. And, and God, by your grace, would you help us to rid ourselves of any distractions that would keep us from our minds, attention, and affections to be solely focused and centered on you at this time. And so, Father, we love you, and we trust you, and we give you this time, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, my name is Megan Maserol, for those of you that I haven't met, and I am the youth director here at Covenant. And if you spend much time around me, something that you'll hear pretty quickly is that I like it nice for half the price. It's kind of a, a slogan or a phraseology that I've adopted that's just kind of become part of my personhood. Um, for me, like it nice for half the price means that I love finding a good deal. I love finding, especially when it comes to clothes and shoes, I love finding a brand name for a steal for half the price. Uh, nothing, almost nothing brings me as much joy as when someone walks up to me and is like, Megan, I love those shoes, or I love those jeans. Oh, where'd you get them? And I get to play it out. Oh, I got it on sale. Oh, it was so good. And I get to recount the joy that it is to go after the hunt and find these nice items because part of me feels like I am like hacking the system. 
Like I have found a way around the normative of buying things at full price and I, I have cheated the system and I have won. And I have won. And, and, and that, that is a thrill for me. And based on some research of some studies done on human motivation, I uh, can confirm that I'm, I don't think I'm totally alone in this. Now, uh, for you, it may not be liking it nice for half the price being your thrill, uh, but what about workload or management efficiency? Or maybe mom hacks to help with raising your children? Or maybe it's supplements to quicken results uh, that you physically desire. Insert your muse of, of choice here. We as a culture are obsessed with finding shortcuts as a way to make our lives better. Or what we have determined is better. We wouldn't have pop podcast and books and in whole conferences around what it means to figure out how to hack our lives with such intense focus if it wasn't such a focus of our American culture. And, and listen, I, I love a good optimization and innovation and figuring out how to make something effective or cost efficient. I love that as much as the next person. Uh, and, and, and I believe that there's a considerable difference between cheating the system and downright cheating. But I think the starting motive as a whole is one of similarity. We want a better way to get what we want. We want a better way to get what we want. Even if what we want is not inherently a bad thing, right? But we want a better way to get that thing, and whatever the established guidelines or parameters are, uh, do, do not meet what we think they should. They're lacking. We have deduced that they are lacking. And so because of that, in turn, we take matters into our own hands and figure out a way to meet this end goal in what we have deduced is a better way. And in our text today, in and around our text today, we are caught in the aftermath. We are caught in the aftermath of what it looks like to have a standard order of practice and procedure and methodology. And for the temptation of a potential better way to come in and to actually cause costly action. Because the better way that was determined, the hack that was figured out, uh, was not actually better at all. So I, I wanna back up here and give a little bit of background of how we arrived where we are at today in our text, okay? Uh, so God made Adam and Eve. And in making Adam and Eve, he gifts, God gifts his life-giving ability to Adam and Eve. 
And, and as the text says in Genesis 1, humans were made to rule over the birds of the air, of the land and the sea. And we were made to rule over everything except one another. And, and God wanted us to rule while trusting in his abundance. And as Genesis 2 puts it, God told Adam to eat from the tree of blessing, that is, the tree of God's eternal life. You may hear it called the tree of life. To eat from the tree of God's eternal life. It was our blessing to take care of God's blessing. And we were blessed to be a blessing. That was the order, that was the standard, that was the practice that God set forth. And we were made to be reflections of God's character and representatives of God's rule in the world. But along with the tree of life and many other trees in the garden, there was another tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and that tree represents so many things. It represents a plethora of things, but I believe it ultimately represents a decision. That the tree of the knowledge of good, of ev- good and evil represents a decision. A decision to try and seize God's abundance on our own terms and in our own ways, or to refrain and to trust that God's way truly is the best way. And with this decision being there in the garden daily, present, uh, we find Eve encounter a creature, a serpent. And the serpent creates doubt that compounds with distortion that ultimately leads to deception. So the serpent creates doubt, compounding with distortion that ultimately leads to deception. In Genesis 2, 16, God said to Adam, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For, for, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. So we see that commandment given to Adam. And then in Genesis 3, just a chapter over in Genesis 3, 2 through 3, when Adam is, or when Eve, excuse me, is recounting what God said to Adam as the commandment for both of them to live in, Eve misquotes what God said. Eve misquotes the commandment that God said. And what's on display here is is Eve's vulnerability. Her vulnerability in the fullness of her understanding of God's command for one reason or another. And the serpent sees this vulnerability and compounds on it. Sees this vulnerability and compounds on it for the hook, line, and sinker. Because in Genesis 3, verses 4 through 5, right after Eve has recounted what God has told 
them to do, even though she, she misquotes God. The serpent then says in verses four through five, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Creating doubt, compounding with distortion, leading to deception. Because, spoiler alert, Eve eats from the tree. Doubt creating distortion of the Father's heart has been the chief deception since the beginning. Last week, uh, Zach kicked off this series for us, God's Favorite. And he gave a pretty compelling argument as to why we are, in fact, as humans, we are God's favorite. And, and what we find here, though, in our, in our text, friends, is that if we believe we aren't his favorite, we fall into the lie that God's way doesn't lead to the best life. and that the Father's heart isn't good. And let's see how that compounds, because if I can convince you that the Father's heart isn't good for you, then it's all the easier to build the reality that he is against you. And if I can create a scenario where God is withholding good from you, then by proxy, he isn't what's best for you. And if we aren't his favorite and his ways aren't best because his heart can be, can't be trusted, well, then what do we do? Well, we take this life into our own hands and deduce what is truly best. We find a better way for us to be our own gods, for us to determine what is good and evil for us to be in control. And what a better shortcut or hack to figure this out and cheating the system than to eat from the tree that we were told would make us like God. But, as we see here in this text in Genesis 3, 3 verses 6 through 20, the rest of that chapter Man, what we find, rather than Adam and Eve receiving the abundance that they were after, rather than receiving the better way to become like God with their eyes opened, as the serpent said, Adam and Eve are left with immense regret. Tough, tough consequences. Unnecessary shame and avoidable realities. But then we read verse 21, where our text technically started today. And we read verse 21, and we see a move from natural consequence to God's restoration. We see a turn from natural consequence to gracious restoration. In this verse, 
Genesis 3, 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. When Adam and Eve first realize that they are naked earlier in the chapter, we see evidence of sin on display immediately. Because rather than Adam and Eve turning to their provider, they try to turn in to the provider. Because in Genesis 3, 7, where it's, it's uh, recollecting this, they tried to cover their nakedness and shame. Adam and Eve tried. They realized that they're naked, and they're, they're looking around. Okay, okay, what do we do? And they sewed together fig leaves to try to cover themselves. But yet even their best attempts could not cover them best. And so in verse 21, we see God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve. God sacrificed part of his creation to cover them. He was so serious about their shame that he would inflict the first death. He would, he would sacrifice an animal to make sure that their shame was covered. If it's not proof that we are God's favorite creation in the fact that he would sacrifice other creation to cover us, I don't know what is. And in this act of covering Adam and Eve in these garments of skin was also to, to preserve them with adequate clothing to protect them in the new hostile environment that they were about to be banished to. So this moves on to God's next, next act of restoration, banishment from the garden. And you may be asking yourself, okay, hold on, hold on. One, how, how is that an act of restoration, being banished from uh, your home, all that you've known? And two, how... How does that prove that we are God's favorite for him to expel us from the garden? Well, we, we find our answer in verse 22. God did this so that Adam and Eve would not live eternally in sin. The banishment from the garden that would then lead to actually death eventually for them as we all eventually die now, uh, this was a loving kindness to them so that they would not eat again from the tree of life and live eternally in this curse forever. It's a mercy that death is brought into the equation because if not, their fallen brokenness perpetuates for eternity. It's a mercy that it comes to an end. It's like God is saying, okay, I'm expelling you from the garden, not necessarily only as a, as a consequence, but as a considerate generosity, as a grace for you, so that you'll not live in the curse forever. And so then ultimately, that one day, all of us can be given new life in Christ. God sacrificed an animal to show his care for Adam and Eve. 
to cover their vulnerability and to cover their shame. What a beautiful foreshadowing for us. To see, to know the ultimate sacrifice that was made by Jesus to forever cover our shame, our sin, and our transgressions. From the beginning and throughout history, our best attempts to save ourselves, to cover our shame, to be our own gods have always fallen short. You can look over the course of human history and see nothing but that confirmed. We were not created to bear the weight of God-like responsibility. That's not how we were made. Creation cannot bear the weight of the creator. God literally saved us from ourselves. Whew. That's true of my own story over and over and over again. God just saving me from myself. And even in our best attempts to take matters into our own hands, God still says we matter. We are still his favorite. And he still offers a way to life and restoration and reconciliation to him. And even in the greatest form of self-preservation on display, trust in his headship, trying to be dismayed, God swoops in with his heart and his character and still gives more grace. A shortcut to our salvation wasn't possible because to shortchange the cross would be to unsatisfy the cost. The price had to be paid, paid in full. A better way cannot be made by me or you. Only the best for God's favorite would ultimately do. So while we tried and tried to pay our own way, counting our pennies, trying to turn in our change, God said, it's done. The bill's been covered. Now go live unashamed. So friends, why, why don't we? even though we are no better than our ancestors, Adam and Eve. Can we understand that the Father's heart is so very gracious and kind that the plan he has for us is the best by design? And if we want to share a hack with the world about how to have the most fulfilling life around, may we say it's simply loving God and loving people and trusting him every moment our feet hit the ground. Yes, we are God's favorite, and that's the sweetest truth. And I'm so grateful he didn't try and cut corners when it came to chasing down me and you. Would you pray with me?
God, thank you for reminding us that the constant temptation that is flooding around us is that we could figure out a better way to this thing called life than you. And God, thank you for reminders this morning of taking it back all the way to the very beginning that shows us so clearly that your way truly is best. And God, thank you for the grace that shows even when at the beginning and continuing on, we tried to believe that we could figure out a better way, you over and over and over again continued to chase us down, continued to give us a chance to be restored to you. God, you, you, you have made a way, and it is the best way. God, we believe, help us believe in the middle of our doubts or temptations or when we wanna believe that your heart isn't good. Oh God, would you remind us that you are, that you are so, so good. From the moment that we turned away from you you still said you loved us and made a way to care for us. Oh God, you're so good. And somehow you call us your favorite. May we rest in that truth today. And as we enter into this time of offering, that we pray over these gifts that they would be a blessing to our church and beyond, that the gifts and ministry that you have here for covenant, God, would be unto your name and unto your glory. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus.